Today, we're going to be looking at the faithfulness of God. It is a topic that I feel under-equipped to teach on because of how vast God's faithfulness is. Throughout this week, I have spent many hours studying the Word, reading stories, and I have been amazed and almost come back to that, that first kind of love for God because I've been looking at his faithfulness and I'm like, man, how do I, how do I preach on faithfulness of a God who has been faithful since before I was born? How, do, how can I talk about faithfulness about a God who, since the beginning of time, even through creating time, showed that he was faithful? His faithfulness is so vast, it is so wide, it is so great, yet it is also so intimate and intricate in the little details. And so I've, I've had a, a week of just feeling fresh love and fresh hope and fresh trust in God. And I think something that I want you to take out of this morning is not greater head knowledge about the faithfulness of God because that's always available. But I, I think there's an invitation for us to, to have our love and our desire and our trust increased because of taking a look at the faithfulness of God. And so I think that's available for you today if you wish to, if you wish to take it. When, when we think about faithfulness and when we look at faithfulness, obviously we know that God is faithful, right? We know that he has been faithful since the beginning of time. We can see it throughout scripture time and time again, he's come through. And I've been thinking about relationships with other people. You know, my relationship with, with Lisa or my relationship with my family, my relationship with my friends, you know, the people that are around me in life. When you, when you start being in a relationship or when you start creating a friendship with someone, you know, trust is something that takes time to build. You don't know if the person is trustworthy. You don't know if their word is good. You know, maybe they're a person who talks the talk but can't walk the walk. You don't really know that when you, when you first learn about someone. And it, and it takes time to build trust. It takes time to grow in trust of the per people that you do life with. I mean, thinking how with God, it's so different. You know, when we first learn about God and when we first come into a relationship with God, we're given a book that has like thousands of years of history in it. It has story after story, testimony after testimony of a God who's been faithful since before the beginning of time. And so I think when we, when we consider and study the faithfulness of God, we can't do it through our human lenses. We can't do it through our human measurements. I have certain things that make me grow in trust in someone in, in, in terms of a friendship. You know, they've got to do this and they've got to do that, or maybe they've got to prove themselves in this way. Like we can't use those measurements like we do for people with God. Because if we do, we'll, we'll begin to have a skewed view of God's faithfulness we'll skew it and we'll make it kind of twisted and it will fit ourselves. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of things in that that I'm not going to go into, but do you guys, do you guys understand what I'm saying? Do, we need to look at the faithfulness of God 
through a different lens than that which we look at the faithfulness of man. It has to be different. And so today, uh, I want to look at three people in the Bible, Abraham, Moses, and David. And I want to consider and look at some promises that God made to them and how God was faithful to them. And hopefully we can take something out of that for ourselves. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 17, we're going to start here. Genesis 17, we're going to read a bit of scripture here. It says, when Abram was 90 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be a father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will now be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give you everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. What an awesome passage of scripture. Abram, a man who's lived 90 years on the earth, and he has, you know, he, he spent a fair amount of time with God. Uh, he's received a promise earlier on in his life. He's made some mistakes. He slept with Hagar and, and bore him a son, Ishmael, because he took God's promise into his own hands. But here we have again the, the covenant, that a, a new covenant that God makes with Abraham. And he promises Abraham to make many nations from him that Abraham will be a father of many, that his descendants will be as many as those stars in the sky and that the whole land of Canaan will become part of his inheritance for him and his family and the nation of Israel. You know, like this is a, this is a pretty big kind of promise, isn't it? I certainly have never made a promise to anyone as great as God has made to Abraham here. Have any of you? Has anyone made a promise to give people nations and, you know, many, many children and all that kind of stuff? It's huge. It's huge. The word faithfulness in Hebrew is most often translated to the word emet. And the word emet, when you boil it down, it it comes to meaning that he is faithful or that he is true. The word is often used to describe man's faithfulness. And when it's used to describe man, it it often is used to describe their stability or to test their trustworthiness. So, you know, everyone here knows the story of when Moses was standing up on the mountain and his arms were up and he was interceding and praying for the Israelites in battle. And then if he put his hands down, they would lose. But if he put his hands back up, they would win. So the word emet is used in that story to describe 
the people that helped Moses keep his arms up, it was to help him be stable in that moment, to be predictable. But the word emet, when it's used to describe God, it is used to talk about his trustworthiness or his faithfulness. And so God here is speaking to Abraham and he gives him a promise. It's a reconfirmation of a promise that he has already given, a promise that Abraham, I guess you could say, broke because he took matters into his own hands. But God, again, steps down to Abraham and delivers this promise. He creates a covenant with Abraham. Abraham and Ishmael go on later on in this chapter to go and circumcise themselves to mark the covenant. And we all know what happens next in the story. Abraham and Sarah, they they bear a child and they're naming Isaac. And God proves himself as faithful to Abraham. And only four generations later does God complete his word because the nation of Israel becomes established four generations after Abraham. And so here's story one of God proving himself as faithful. If you want to turn to Exodus 34. Exodus 34, this is the story of Moses on the mountain. It's after Moses has already gone up to the mountain and he has received the commandments and the Israelites have made the golden calf and God has rebuked them. And now Moses has come back up onto the mountain and we're going to pick it up here in verse 6. And so the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, being slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and to the fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. God, although that this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all of the world. The people who you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Again, a really well-known portion of scripture. Exodus 34.6 is possibly one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You know, there's Psalms that have been written out of this. This is a verse that is quoted quite often. It's because it's, it's one of the very few verses that God actually speaks to man and describes his character to man. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, the God who is slow to anger, the God, I am abounding in love and faithfulness. That word faithfulness, it's the word met. 
It's a word that means I, your God, I am trustworthy. I am reliable. Again, God delivers a promise to Moses saying, I will make a covenant with you before all people and I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all of the world. The people you live among will see how awesome it is, the work that I will do for you. An amazing promise from God given to Moses. And it's a promise that Moses didn't see the full completion of in his lifetime. It was a promise that the next generation of Israelites inherited and received. And we know by reading through portions of the Old Testament that it's a promise that Joshua inherited. It's a promise that Joshua, as he and the Israelites went and took the land of Canaan, their enemies marveled. Their enemies were amazed and were petrified of the Israelites because of the power of the Israelites' God. There was no God known to man at that point in time that was as great or as powerful or as present with his people than the God of Israel. Flip to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. Here we see the Lord speaking to the prophet Nathan about David and says this, Now then, tell my servant David that this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be a ruler over my people, Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone and I've cut off all of your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have their home, a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And when your days are over, you will rest with your fathers. I will raise up offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who I will build a house for my name and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, who I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me and your throne shall be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established before me forever. Again, amazing promise from the Lord. An amazing promise. 
Now, we serve a God who delivers big promises. But we also serve a God who comes through on his big promises. One of the the most difficult things about trusting in God is that we don't know God's ways and we often don't know God's timing. And something that I think is significant in all three of these people's lives is that God delivered them promises. And the promises were great. They were large. They were life-altering. They were nation-creating. They were kingdom-establishing promises. And yet, there were significant periods of time that elapsed between the promise being given and the promise being completed. Each and every one of these men were men that had to trust in God. And they didn't always get it right. They failed sometimes. They, they made some terrible mistakes. But at times, they did trust God. At times, they were faithful in their service to the Lord. The, the Hebrew word for trust is actually the verb of emet. And the word is he'emin. And it basically, when you, when you boil it down, it means to trust. And when we consider these men, Abraham was a man who actioned his trust in God. Moses was a man who actioned his trust in God. David was a man who not only said he trusted the Lord, but he actioned his trust in God. This is quite from Dallas Willard that I really love. It says, faith is reliance or it's trust or it's confidence revealed in both attitude and action. Say that again. Faith is reliance, trust, and confidence revealed in both attitude and action. We see in these three men's lives that there are, there are points in time where their faith is just an attitude and it's lacking the action and mistakes take place. But when these men live and rely on their faith and it isn't just the words that come from their mouth or the attitude of their heart, but it's the action that they live with, we see them being faithful to the Lord. You know, there was such a significant period of time between God's promise to David, which is that your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me and your throne will be established forever. That is a promise that wasn't just for the, for the line of David in terms of his son Solomon sitting on the throne. God, God said to David, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That is a word that has no end in time on it. And then there was a significant period of time between David receiving that word and the coming of Jesus, which is the completion or the, the result of that promise that God provided first to David. Hundreds of years. If you turn to Matthew chapter 1. Now, to us, Matthew chapter 1, and the first 17 verses of it are pretty insignificant. It's just a bunch of names. 
You know, it's just like Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac was the father of Jacob and Jacob was the father of Judah, da, 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 da. And, you know, it's like, oh, that's cool. But to the Hebrews, to the Israelites, there was so much significance in this genealogy. There is so much significance in this genealogy. Because we, note, we, note, we notice here that it was Abraham that was the father of Isaac. And then Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And the story goes on and on. And then it later says in verse 6 that David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. And it goes on. And then they, they get to a point of exile. And then after exile, it's Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. And then it goes on to further to say that Eleazar, the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. This portion of scripture, insignificant to us, but significant to the Israelites, because this portion of scripture described the completion of the promise of God. This portion of scripture describes a met. It's a testimony of a met. It's a testimony of the faithfulness of God. It's a testimony of his promise to Abraham. That very first promise that I will make you a father of many nations. It's a testimony of God's promise to Moses. That you will be my people and I will make a covenant with you. It's a testimony of the promise to David that I shall establish your kingdom and it shall reign forever. Jesus' coming was the outcome. It was the completion of the promise of God to these patriarchs. It's a testimony of God's faithfulness, not just a bunch of names on a piece of paper. In Romans 15, 8 for I tell you that Christ has come to be a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. That the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and more so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Christ has come to be a servant on behalf of God's truth. That his promises, that he's a met, that his faithfulness may be proved and that the promises made to the patriarchs will be confirmed. And more so that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. There, there are so many more stories in this book of God's faithfulness. There are so many more invitations for us to believe that God's word is true to believe that he is trustworthy, to believe that he is stable, that he is reliable, that you can depend upon him. The reason why I've highlighted these is because I think these are possibly three of the greatest promises ever made to man from God. And the result of them is the greatest promise, the greatest invitation, the greatest testimony of all, which is Jesus. And we get to live in that. We get to experience that. I want to leave you with this thought. It is another quote 
from Dallas Willard. This is a really, really significant quote. And I want to leave you with this. It says this, faith has two main parts. One is vision and one is desire or will. Vision is seeing the reality as it is or in the case of the future as it could be for us. And desire is wanting reality to be as it is or as we hope that it could be. Faith has two main paths. One is desire and will and the other is vision. Vision is seeing it for as it is and desire is wanting it to become a reality as we could hope it to be. Two thoughts, vision and desire or vision and will. I want to encourage you to find your vision for faith in God's history. Find your vision for faith. Find your understanding of faith. Define it even in God's history, in who he is, in the, in the testimony of his work, in his amet, because he is trustworthy. And then practice desire Practice the will of faith, which is to see it become a reality as you could hope it to be. Practice that by being people that live out he emin, which is to trust. The verb of emet, which is faithful or trustworthy, is he emin, which is to trust. And so let us be a people that find our vision of faith in the emet of God, in the faithfulness of God, and then practice seeing it become our reality through being people that trust. Just like each of the patriarchs that we've read about. It's as simple as that. I don't need to expand upon it anymore. I I, I don't have any intentions to unpack it. God's faithfulness is quite simple. As creative, as vast as it is, it is also simple. Because it's a matter of fact that he is trustworthy. It's just who he is. He is the Lord of the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love and he is faithful. So let's be a people that live out faith in both attitude and action and recognize and learn that our vision of faith has to be defined by God's faithfulness, by his amet, and that our practice of it to see it become a reality has to be through trusting him, not by our own works. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Father, we thank you for your mercy. Father, I thank you for your grace. Father, thank you that 
you are so vast and expansive and wide and mighty and so great and so big beyond even our comprehension. But also thank you that you are so intimate and intricate in everything that you do. Father, we don't need to muster up anything to tell you that we think you're faithful. God, you are faithful regardless of what we think. I just pray that you would give us a perspective to see that. God, that you would give us the lens to see your faithfulness. Not a tainted lens that we've had created because of our circumstances or because of the things of the world, but Father, a lens that is pure and a lens that is holy. God, I pray that you would give us a vision to see your faithfulness. You're a met the way that you really are. God, if we struggle with that, I pray that you would lead us to Scripture to find it in your word because it's everywhere in your word. God, may we be convinced because of the fact that you have been faithful from age to age. And Father, I pray that we would be a people that would be trustworthy as well. Father, in our attitude, in our action, Lord, may we be a people like Moses, like David, like Abraham, a people that have hair and men, a people that put our trust in you, not in things of the world, a trust in you. Lord, we recognize and we know that it is in you, through you, and because of you that we live, move, and have our being. But Father, I pray that in the midst of these times that we are in, God, that your faithfulness would become to the center stage. God, that it would be so magnified in our heart and in our mind, that we would be so consumed because of who you are, Lord, that we would be a people that would be trustworthy and that we would put our trust in you but also, Lord, that we would be a light to the people that are around us. May we leak your faithfulness everywhere we go. God, may you enable us to be a people that are stable in the midst of such instability. God, would you give us peace, not just for our sake, but Lord, peace for those that we can extend in trying circumstances. God, may you give us joy that turns sadness into gladness and praise. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for who you have always been. May we never take you for granted. May we always worship you and place you in the rightful place which is king of this earth, Lord over the universe, but the Lord over our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.